Well, this might be a giant mistake that I'm about to make here, but that's never stopped me before. So let's dive in. This is episode 206 of The Drop Set. Let's get to it. And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set. With your host, Darren Starr. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. I am Darren Starr and I'm a full-time online prep coach and have been since 2012. You can check me out at 5starphysique.com and read about my coaching programs, check out workout programs that I have available, read articles, and most importantly, you can click on the podcast button at the top or go straight to thedropset.com to vote on the most recent poll question posted at the top of the page. It is really kind of hard to believe that I've been doing this since December of 2016, but here we are. We're over 200 episodes in and we're still kicking. It's crazy stuff. Now this show thrives on and exists only because of you, the listener. So I thank you for being here and also encourage you to contribute your questions and discussion topics. You can email me at Darren at five star fitness.com or more easily click on contact from five star physique.com and submit your question in the form. You can also find me on social media at Darren underscore star on Instagram is probably the best way to go there. Please also give a rating like thumbs up review or whatever is appropriate for whatever platform you're listening to this on. And please share the episodes you like and tag me in your posts. I appreciate it tremendously. And it helps us here reach a bigger audience, which makes it more likely that I can nab higher profile guests for future interviews. So with that being said, let's get on with it. Well, thank you, Darren, for that tremendously insightful pre-recorded message. Thanks. Um, that's our new podcast intro. Uh, I wanted to have somebody else uh, record that for me, but the issue there is that I needed it done right now, so I just did it. Um, so there you go. Why Now, why in the cold open did I say that this might be a giant mistake? Because... Um, I can't remember my name right now. Mostly, um, I'm operating on just a few hours sleep. Um, I just got back from a trip to the West coast, visiting my family out in Oregon. I left on, hold on, put my brain into the Wayback machine here. Thursday afternoon last week, uh, spoiler alert. I did not have any flight issues. I'm kind of shocked. I was really dreading this trip just because of, I was assuming there would be at least delays, maybe cancellations, Um, but none of that happened. Um, You know, we left on time, no issues with layovers or anything like that. It was kind of shocking, actually. I'm still not really sure what to make of it. So I actually had, dare I say, a fairly pleasant experience traveling. It was kind of nice. So, um... I left here. My flight departed Knoxville at like 4.30, and I'm the, the proud owner uh, for the last couple of months of a brand new TSA pre-check, green check on my boarding pass. So um, I was all looking forward to like beating some lines 
at, uh, at airports and I was really excited for it. So, you know, every time you fly, you basically get two chances once when you're departing and once when you're coming back, just as soon as you get into the airport, you go through security and that's it. So doesn't matter for connections. My parents were confused on that point. They thought I had to go through security. I mean, they haven't flown in a while. So, um, so I get to Knoxville airport, Tyson McGee. And to be clear, the Knoxville airport has, I think 12 gates. So it's not exactly a sprawling metropolis. Like they've got two places where you can eat. They've got like a Cinnabon slash Starbucks, and then they've got a Ruby Tuesdays and that's it. I'm thankful that they have that much actually. Um, and then like one little travel mart and that's it. So not exactly the biggest airport in the world. Nonetheless, the security line there can be kind of out of control. It still moves pretty well when that happens, but you know, not a big deal. So I get there and I'm like pushing my luck. I'm like the airport's 10 minutes away. So my wife's taking me to the airport on Thursday and I'm like, eh, you know what? Let's leave. Let's plan on getting there 10 minutes before I need to board. So let's leave here at like 3.40. We'll get there at 3.50. The flight board's at 4. Plenty of time, right? I mean, I'm kind of pushing my luck at this point, but whatever. So that all went off without a hitch. No no problem. No traffic issues. Thank God. Forgot to check that before we left. That would have been bad. Because um, the road that goes from us to the airport is prone to some backups, actually, especially around that time. So I kind of lucked out there. Um, but I get to the airport and walk in, not checking a bag, just going straight to security. And the line is completely empty except the pre-check line has a flight crew in it. There's four people in that line. There's zero in the regular line. I'm like, damn it. Ugh. Like, I just, I just wanted to flex. I wanted to walk by 50 or 60 people and be like, yeah, suckers, you suck. <laughs> Didn't get that chance. I was bummed. Oh, my God, I was bummed. And instead, I get stuck behind a flight crew including one guy who was really clueless and had no, like, he's forgetting his bag behind him. He, everybody else is telling him what to do. I'm like, this is the doofus of the crew right here. He ended up being my flight attendant, of course. Um, but the still with, with pre-check, you don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to pull your laptop and your liquids out of your bag or anything like that. So it's still worth it. But I was a little bummed anyway. Um, on that flight going from Knoxville to it was Denver. I had an empty seat next to me, which was the only empty seat on the whole plane. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's my lucky day here. This is good. So that was nice. Um, and then I upgraded, um, actually I, I paid for a first class upgrade going from Denver to Portland cause it was pretty cheap. And I'm like, Hey, why not? And they gave me like a chicken and orzo dinner, which was super cool. I'm like, Hey, all right. Flying in style here. This is kind of nice. I remember when they used to do this all the time. Actually, I don't. I think that was before I can remember even. Um, so that was nice. I got into Portland. The cool thing here, cause, so I was in seat 1A on that plane, right? <laughs> so we pull up to the gate and like we land, we taxi for, I swear, 45 seconds. We pull up to the gate. We're at the gate 10 seconds and they've got the jet bridge connected and the door open and I'm off the plane. I'm like, oh my God, I could get used to this level of efficiency. So being at the front of the plane was nice, but also just how quick everything was moving. I'm like, I'm unaccustomed to this. This is weird. So I hoof it. It's a long walk through the Portland airport to get to the rental car center. I get my car. I drive six minutes to my hotel, get there. Boom. Like, okay. All right. That was nice and efficient. I like that. Um, stayed in Portland for the night because the next morning I had to make like a two hour drive down to my parents' place. And I didn't want to do that because by the time I got into Portland, it was 1 a.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. local time. No, it was nine, nine, nine local time, midnight Eastern. I'd been up since 4:30, So I'm like, no, I'm just going to sleep here, uh, and take off in the morning. 
which I did. I had a great visit with the parents. That was awesome. Um, the brothers and their families both came over on Saturday. Everybody was there, had a good time. And then on Sunday, I went and saw my older brother. I went north um, from my parents' house and saw my older brother and hung out there for a couple hours and played some music with their oldest. Who's, uh, who She plays piano. She plays cello. Um, she's in a rock band camp, which is cool. So she's doing like a bunch of... I, like they're working on uh, Stairway to Heaven in that band, um, which she doesn't have much. She's going to sing on that. She doesn't have much to do for the keyboard. Um, they have previously played Cashmere by Zeppelin and she played cello on that. Um, and like I've seen videos of them, they do some hailstorm, they do some rush. Like it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And she's you know 16, so pretty cool experience for her to be starting uh, with that at that age. But I got to go through and we played some stuff. Um, I was on the piano, she was on her other keyboard. She had a mic, she was singing. That was really very cool, very cool quality time. Had a good chat with uh, my brother and sister in law, um, and then. After that, went from there, went back down south towards my parents' house, past it another 50 minutes or so to see my other brother and his family down there um, and had a really awesome chat with them and a really nice visit. I don't usually get to spend that extra kind of quality time with them because, you know, with the kids, they've always got stuff going on, but it was a quiet day. Everybody had time free, so it just kind of worked out. Um, And then... uh, Got back into the parents' house late on Sunday around, you know, 9.30, 10. Actually, it was more like 10.30, I think. Um, and uh, then took off Monday morning around 10 or so. So didn't get as much time with mom and dad as I would have liked. But um, still, it was it was good. It was a really, really nice visit. And one of those, like, good for the soul trips. Um, certainly not a relaxing vacation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I did get a workout in on Saturday and Sunday, um, which were my scheduled days to lift. I took Friday and Monday off, which are my scheduled rest days. So, um, did fine there. Did okay on the diet. I'd say about 80, 20. Um, I, I wasn't trying to push it too hard. Um, I'm back on it hundred percent today. So, um, and then flying out of Portland was interesting. I swear we're going to get to more interesting stuff here, but you just, you just got to let me ramble, right? You got the, you can, you're all listening to this at double speed anyway. So I've been talking for 10 minutes. You've only been listening for five. I know how this works. I know how, I know how this game gets played. So I'm driving up to the Portland airport. It gets about an hour and 45 minutes. So I'm kind of walking back. I'm like, okay, the flight boards at, what was it? 1230. So I figure if I'm getting into the airport, again, TSA pre-check, around 12.10, 12.15, that's good enough, which means I want to drop off my rental car about 12, which means I need, you know, I'm going to give myself, I'm going to be generous and give myself 10 minutes to gas it up by the airport because Oregon, you can't pump your own gas. You have to wait for somebody to come up to the car and fill it for you, which is so annoying. I can't believe I grew up living with that. Now living in Tennessee, I'm like, how do they, how do they do this? How, how do people live like this? Oh my God. Just the, the waiting around and the slowness kills me. So give myself 10 minutes there. Okay. So I figured out, okay, this is when I need to leave the house. It was like, I need to leave the house at 10 or maybe 10 till 10, something like that. So I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, listening to music, blah, 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 bopping my way up the interstate. And I just like, let me just check real quick and make sure there isn't a traffic issue. Oh, there's an accident on I-5 that's going to add 30 minutes to my, it's a 30 minute delay crap okay so i i see that there's a detour it's one that i've taken in the past several times so i'm like all right i'll go i'll get off exit 278 i'll go through donald through canby oregon city back on 205 there cool so um that adds about 20 minutes to the default trip time so i've saved 10 minutes off of the delayed time but i'm still 20 minutes 
behind where I wanted to be. Apparently, I drove fast enough. The gas station was quick. I hauled ass from the rental car return in through the terminal um, and made it in plenty of time. And again, you get to the... Portland Airport always has the worst security lines. This is the one time I get there. There isn't a single fucking person in the security line. Not one. There's 10 people in the pre-check line. Like, you sons of bitches. Oh, my God. One day, I'm going to get my money's worth out of this thing. This was not that day. This was not that day. I mean, really, first world problems, right? But come on. There's an expectation of of just this epic parting of the seas that happens, and it's just, I haven't had it yet. I haven't had it, and I'm so disappointed. Even in New York, coming back there, uh, when, when I went there in May, that was my first time being able to use this pre-check thing. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. I missed a little bit of a line there. It was like a 20-person line, and I got to skip it. I'm like, eh, at LaGuardia Airport, 20 people is nothing. Give me a break. That's a rounding error. So um, I'm still I'm still waiting for my moment to shine. Anyway, let's let's move on, shall we? Um, yeah, enough about me. Enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you want to talk about? I got a couple ideas here. There's not much, not much, but I want to talk about a couple. This I imagine this will probably end up being a shorter episode because a I'm tired. Like I got in at what? By the time I got home, it was 11.50 p.m. last night, um, Eastern Time. Um, I'm normally in bed by 9.20. So by the time I was out, it was like 12.30. So I'm like three hours behind. I still got up at 4.30 this morning, banged out cardio, did a leg day, doing meal prep because I came home to an empty fridge, had to do grocery shopping as well. So it's been a busy day. There's a lot going on. Um, and I'm about ready to crash. So I don't know how much of this I'm going to make it through, but I got a few things that I want to talk about here. So couple things here. And again, I think at some point I've talked about most of this stuff, kind of like I mentioned in the last episode, but it's good to revisit it. And uh, in doing so, I always get a chance to say some stuff that I didn't say the first time around. Probably. It's not like I go back and re-listen to those segments because good Lord, I never go back and re-listen to a podcast just in case anybody was wondering about that. No, I can't. I can't. I can hear my own voice. I've heard my own voice plenty. I don't have any issues hearing my own voice. I do have issues revisiting stuff that I've talked about. I don't want to hear myself ramble on. Like, listening to my voice, yeah, fine. No problem. No problem. Listening to the content that I cover, no. Don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear that. that that's what I have a problem with. So, um, so uh, from Romy. Thank you, Romy. Her suggestion. Um, would be good to hear some tips about stress management, tips and tricks um, uh, during prep or off season. And I would say there, and this this is a good one. So um, there there is there's a lot to this. There, there's a lot to this. So I, I have I have some thoughts. Um, what is today, by the way? Oh nine two seven. All right. So when it comes to stress management, I, I don't really think. Um, whether it's off season or whether it's prep, I mean, it's it's always just stress, right? So it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Like if you're a bodybuilder or not, doesn't really matter. Like managing your stress is important. So for a bodybuilder, like what phase you're in, who cares? The, the tactics are all the same. The circumstances that you have to deal with can be a little bit different, which really just, I think that more than anything else adjusts the necessity of it. Like if you don't have a lot going on, if it's a slower phase and you don't have as many responsibilities, you know, work is slower, you know, family is good, et cetera. You find yourself with more time, all that kind of stuff. You can handle some stress and not deal with it very well and be perfectly fine. If you're four weeks out 
and your job is fucking crazy and your family is crazy and all that stuff, a little bit of added stress will break you. It will destroy you. So the context is relative. But that being said, if you follow good, I would say what stress management hygiene, that might be the name of this segment, stress management hygiene. How do we take care of that? How do, how do we handle it? What are the right techniques and tactics to be using? So first of all, I think it's important to, um, and just to give you all some insight in here, I am, uh, I'm doing this without any notes. I didn't go and make an outline or make any notes or anything, but I talk about this stuff all the time with clients. So I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on what I want to say even before I start with it, but I'm operating without a net here. I got no notes or anything. And that's, I've just jinxed myself. That's probably going to become really evident in about 45 seconds when I totally lose my train of thought and have no idea what I'm talking about. And I start talking about football instead or something. So just be warned. I don't know what's going to happen either. Um, so where was I? (laughs) He says, not really joking. Um, Man, where was I? Seriously, I shouldn't interrupt. I shouldn't have interrupted myself. That I interrupted my own train of thought. So, um, oh yeah, <laughs> I remembered. First thing that I would say is I I use the concept of a stress bucket when I describe this, or a balloon, if you will, whichever metaphor floats your boat. Um, you've got some. Some I think a balloon probably works better, right? So we're filling up our balloon. If your balloon's going to have some shape, it's got to have some air in it, right? So, you know, your life necessarily, especially as a bodybuilder, has to have some stress in it. The stress that I'm talking about there is the physical stress of what you're doing. You have to place physical stress on your body or it's not going to change, right? So some of that is essential. It's absolutely imperative. It's required. But it's kind of like, you know, the, the tachometer on your car, there's a healthy range where you want it to be. And then there's a range where it's like, Ooh, this is not healthy for the engine anymore. Same kind of thing. Like there's a good level of stress that you can operate with. And that is, I think we could also say probably fairly constant. It's fairly controlled. If you follow a pretty predictable, um, workout pattern, and I'm not talking like day to day, I'm talking like over the course of one to two to three months, something like that. If you usually work out with a certain frequency, cool, your body learns to adapt to that. So that's the physical stress of that. Same thing with cardio. There's metabolic stress from dieting as well. So um, all of those things are, I would say, good stress. They're required in order to see the kind of change that we want to see. So that stuff doesn't bother me at all. And it's, it's really essential as, as part of the process here. It's all the other stuff that becomes a problem. And the thing is, all that other stuff goes into the same freaking balloon. And eventually that balloon will pop. And when it pops, you're going to crash and burn. So you need to make sure that your balloon stays kind of inflated, but you don't want it to the point where it looks like a really fully formed balloon, right? You want it to look like it's a balloon that's got the air taken out of it, which I realize the metaphor is breaking down here a little bit. I'm going to keep running with it, right? So just just roll with it. Play with me on this one. Um, so the, the trick is managing those other sources. And the first important part here is... It's very obvious, but this is where a lot of people break down, where the process breaks down for them. You have to identify it. And not just generally, but specifically. It's like, you know, it's the difference between, let, let's take this, let's let's approach it from like a pyramid. The top of the pyramid is, ugh, I'm so stressed. Okay, what are you stressed out about? Work. Okay, what's stressing you out about work? My fucking boss. Okay, what about your boss? He's a dick. Okay, why is he a dick? You know, 
one layer down, one layer down each time. And what we're hoping to do eventually when you get down to it is find some kind of actionable item. You know, what is your boss a dick about? Is he a dick to everybody or is he a dick just to you? Um, is it a personal attack or are you not doing your job well? Maybe you're the problem. You know, maybe you just need to step up your efforts on the, on your job. You know, let's, let's not always be looking to be the victim. Sometimes we're the problem, not the victim. Right. So that, that's a possibility too. Um, but you, you need to, the, the goal with anything that is causing stress is to turn it and, and distill it down to an actionable element. And so in this case, you know, work, my boss, my boss is a dick, blah, blah, blah. He's harping on my numbers. Okay. Well, are you meeting your numbers? Yeah, I'm meeting my numbers. Okay. Well, you know, what is, are your, is there an expectation beyond the numbers? Um, is it that you're only meeting them because your boss is being a dick and harping on you? Um, or does your boss have unrealistic expectations? And so, you know, does that need to be addressed with uh, upper management, with human resources or something like that? Like, take action on it. Don't just accept that something is the way that it has to be. I'm just using this one example, but this can be applied to anything, anything at all. Um, and the the issue is that sometimes you're going to drill down into that. You're going to peel enough layers off that onion and you're going to arrive at something that does not have something actionable, right? So for a lot of people, it might be like, what do you, you know, I'm stressed. Okay. Stressed about what? About money. Okay. What about it? I don't have enough. Okay. I, I think we've pretty much peeled down to the bottom of that onion. Not enough money. Okay, great. So, um, <laughs> it's like, that's, it was pretty easy to, to, you know, come to a conclusion on. So, but there's still potential solutions there, right? Solutions like, you know, can, can you be a sperm donor? Can you sell plasma? Do you have shit to sell? You know, I mean, are you wasting money on stuff? Are you, you know, what, what, I mean, there's, there's always actionable things. And then eventually you might get to a point where you're like, no, I, I've, I've already donated sperm and blood plasma, um, for this month. Um, I don't have anything left to sell. Um, I'm already pinching every penny that I can. I'm just a broke ass mofo. Okay, cool. So, um, at that point, you know, assuming that you've got enough to meet your basic needs and it's not like a crisis situation or something like that. It's one of those things you just kind of need to let go of. It's probably a bad example, but sometimes uh, the work stress situation can get to that point where it's like, you know, I have two options and it's deal with my boss being a dick because I can appeal to upper management or HR, but they won't do anything. In fact, they'll probably just take it out on me or I can get a new job. Okay. So that's still a possible option. You could get a new job. I've recommended that to many clients who, you know, week after week after week, they are clearly miserable human beings because of their job. I'm like, you need a new fucking job. I don't know if anybody else is telling you that. You might know it, but I'm going to let you hear it from my voice because you talk about it every week. It's a problem. You have zero quality of life and it's because of your job. There are other jobs out there. Find one. You know, do the same thing working for a different company. You know, I mean, <laughs> the possibilities are out there. So... You know, you take a little bit of a pay cut. Is it worth it to have some quality of life back? Might be, might be. So, um, but eventually it might be like, well, no, I do something, you know, I, if I was gonna, um, if I was gonna get a different job, then I would have to move somewhere else. I'm like, well, that's an option also, but maybe at the same time, we just have to deal with this. And so at that point, that item needs to get put into a separate pile. And I maintain, and that pile is the, 
don't fucking worry about it pile just deal with it breathe through it and pass the buck on it and you know focus on what you can control and what you can change and what you can't control or change you've just got to become at peace with um you know i mean all kinds of examples like that um but generally speaking, I would say a lot of people are really too quick to put things in that pile and say, well, I can't do anything about this. I'm like, oh, there are solutions. They might be really hard and painful solutions, but they're there. Um, you know, very, very personal example for me that I, it's probably not appropriate for me to talk about, but I'm going to because it's my podcast. Who the fuck cares, right? Um, my second marriage, right? I was in a situation there where it's like, I'm a miserable human being and this is sucking the life out of me. And is this what the rest of my life is going to be like? Sure. Seems like it. Yep. Hmm. Okay. This is awful. I mean, we, we could have a long discussion about how dumb I was to get in that situation. Right. Well, I'm, I'm going to be kind to myself and not dig into that. Cause I don't want to, it's ugly part of my life that I'm glad is over. But, um, and if my ex happens to be listening to this, hi, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Oh my God. Um, maybe a little tragic too. I don't know. Um, begs the question, why would she be listening to this? I have no idea. Um, so I, I it was kind of like, well, I guess I'm just stuck here. And then one day I realized like, no, I'm not. I can end this. It's going to hurt like hell. It is going to be the most painful band-aid I've ever ripped off in my life, but it's worth it. You know, and it was like, you know, it was emotionally painful. It was almost physically painful. There were threats of violence, not from her, from other people. Um, uh, it was financially painful for sure. But you know what? I recovered. I got over it and holy shit. I got to tell you that painful decision that I made was the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, because otherwise, I mean, I, I can't even tell you where my life would be right now, but it wouldn't be in a good place. It would not be in a good place. And so that is a painful decision that really almost seemed like a non-option at first, right? Just not even possible until I mentally accepted that it was possible. It was just very difficult. So, and I think, you know, I, I think of that often when I think of people who are stuck in jobs where it's just really easy to stay there, but man, think of what can happen if you don't. So I know this is kind of a detour talking about stress management, but the, the idea is there is usually something actionable that you can do. And I would say the instances where there is not or th those instances are very rare. And I would say it's not so much that there's nothing actionable. It's just no action that you are willing to take. And I think it's good to recognize that. And I think it's good to call it that um, because you can always change your mind and decide to take that action. You know, it, it's a, it's a plan B that you don't really want to do, but it's there. Right. And so it might just get to a point where you're like, I need to do this. And what I can tell you is don't wait until, every fiber of your being is convincing you that plan B is now the right move. It's probably the right move as soon as you come up with plan B realistically. So, um, so that's the big stuff, but honestly, really little stuff can pile up too. Like I came home and immediately there are a couple of things here on my desk that are stressing me out. The biggest stuff that stresses me out are stupid, piddly little bullshit things that I have to do that I just put off. 
And so I've gotten into the habit of just not putting them off. So I come home and granted, I've been going a thousand miles an hour today. So I haven't had anything, uh, haven't had the opportunity to deal with it yet. But I recently closed out a bank account I wasn't using. And they sent me two checks that I have to deposit into my bank. And I can't do mobile banking um, because of some previous issues that I had in trying to deposit checks. I can, but... Um, there have been issues with them actually going into my account correctly. So I won't mobile deposit them. So I have to take these two to the bank and then I have this thing here, which is a bill that showed up when I was gone that I have to pay. Okay. So as soon as I'm done recording this podcast, I'm going to take care of both of those things and knock those off my desk because shit on my desk stresses me out. What stresses you out? What little things stress you out? Is it the fact that your kitchen counters are too cluttered? Is it the fact that your pantry is a fucking mess? And looks like some version of the upside down from Stranger Things. You know, is it that your bathrooms are nasty? Clean your pantry. Clean your bathrooms. Clean off your counter. You know, those are things. I mean, the pantry is a little bit more involved. A lot of these tasks, they, they stress you out. The fact that they're not done and they kind of just are, they're, they're like that low-grade hum in the background that's always there. And it just mm, sucks the life out of you, right? Five minutes. Take five minutes and fix it. That's it. Oh, my floors are a mess. Vacuum your damn floors. You know, I mean, it, honestly, I think it, it'd be amazing how much that little stuff really adds up. And so what I have learned, uh, my wife and I together, it, having an unkept house really adds a lot of stress for both of us. And so we've really developed a routine where it's, you know, taking care of dishes, taking care of laundry, keeping things relatively clean and put together at most times not leaving piles of shit around and stuff like that. So those are things that we've just developed over time. And now the house always looks kind of put together and it's just more relaxing to be in versus when it's a mess, we both get stressed out. So that's one of our triggers, both of us. Yours might be totally different, but you got to identify what they are. What stresses you out? And this is, this is something where very tangentially bodybuilding can teach you a lot about yourself because we're, we're thinking about how we can manage our stress in a bodybuilding way to help maximize what you get out of a program. Because when your stress levels are more moderate, everything just hums along better. You know, your body functions better, you recover better, you perform better, etc. You're more focused in what you're trying to do. It's like everything gets a 10% boost on it, which is huge. We love that. Um, but because of that, we're learning how to kind of manage other stuff in our life that doesn't have anything to do with bodybuilding. Nothing. Nothing. But this is stuff that can improve your quality of life all around. You've just got to figure out what your stressors are. And like some, sometimes you've got time to, to make note of something, but you don't really have time to sit back and peel the layers off the onion. Make a note on your phone. Just open up a, a scratch file right now and type in things that stress me out. And as you're going through your day, pull that up. Oh, unopened mail, you know, whatever, you know, dog poop. I haven't scooped up in the backyard, you know? And then what you do is you're like, okay, cool. So Sunday afternoon at five o'clock before I sit down and start making dinner for Sunday, I'm going to go through and take care of all the mail. And because I do it every week, it's not going to take three hours. It's going to take about 15 minutes. Cool. You know what? Tuesday, after I get home and I walk the dogs, uh, that's my time where I'm going to go outside and scoop up poop because having those landmines out in the backyard stresses me out because I can't walk around there barefoot, right? So 
whatever it is, you come up with something where you're giving yourself short little tasks that don't take long to finish, but you sprinkle them out here and there. Same with like meal prep. Don't set aside Sunday afternoon to meet, to be meal prep because then you've wasted an entire afternoon tied to the kitchen and you know, just no, like take 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Before I recorded this podcast, I had to eat. I went upstairs and I uh, I did meal prep for ground turkey and rice. Um, and I did them simultaneously while I was cleaning up the kitchen and putting away groceries and stuff and getting a meal ready to go. Um, and then I wrapped it up, um, wrapped up that meal prep and put stuff away as I was still eating. So, you know, I'm, I'm now I'm set on those. I need to do chicken today. Today's a heavy meal prep day for me because I just got back from my trip. I don't have anything in the fridge, like I mentioned. So, um, as soon as I finish recording this, I've got to go and get chicken ready to go. So, um, that'll take a little bit, but again, I'm going to multitask. I'm going to start laundry while that's going. Cause it's one of those things where it's a little hands on at first. And I, I put it in the pan for five minutes. I set a timer, go around, do some stuff. Cool. And then I throw it in the oven for like 18 minutes. Can go and do some other stuff, come back, do a little bit of work, etc. blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you, you turn it all into bite-sized little chunks here and there where you can peel a little bit off here and there and manage it just one little task at a time. You turn it into a series of tasks and you make a schedule out of it where you can handle those things. But the first step is identification what stresses you out. And then you've really got to distill that down into the, um, into the, the single kernel that remains. That's an actionable item. What exactly can you do about it? Okay. And just like that, much like the, uh, most recent house of the dragon episode, if you're following that, where they just did a 10 year time jump, I jumped ahead a day. Um, so I took a little break, do some meal prep and uh, man, the day got away from me. So anyway, we're wrapping up that conversation on stress. I want to move to the next thing here. This is from, uh, my client, Jen, but both of these next two topics that we're going to discuss are, um, her question here is, uh, is this is staying lean, sustainable and healthy. Um, and I think that there were other parts of her question here as well, but I think that really is the one that I want to, I want to touch on because th- this kind of comes down to the comparison game that everybody plays with everybody else on social media, which is one of the reasons like I've kind of stepped back from what I do on social media a little bit. I still post some stuff, but not a lot. And, um, honestly, I I feel like that could be a precursor to me just leaving it behind completely. Um, I feel like it's really like that you can make some useful stuff out of it, but I feel like the way that I consume it is unhealthy because I fall victim to that comparison game all the time. I always tell people don't do it, don't do it, but it's hard to actually not do it. So I try to curate who I follow, um, in such a way that I, it discourages me from doing that. But, you know, it's just, it's tricky. It's a bad road to go down. So that, that really plays into this just because people get this perception of other people staying lean all year round. And why can't I, and to be clear, there are some people who do stay lean year round. And, um, is it healthy? You know, for a lot of people, well, I don't know about a lot of people, but for a good number of people, um, yeah, it's fine. Um, it depends on what you have to do to get there. And if you're somebody who you're extremely active, you've got a really high motor, um, and you can eat reasonably well and still stay lean just because you have a great metabolism. 
There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The only problem as an outside observer is you have absolutely no effing clue if that applies to anybody else. You know, if you see somebody who appears to be lean all year round, you have no idea what they're doing to get there. And they might say it, but you don't know if that's true. You know, I mean, you got to take everything with a grain of salt these days. The other thing is a lot of people present themselves as being lean year round, um, but they aren't. And one of the giveaways there is, you know, it's like they, they post a whole bunch when they're in prep for a show. And then when they're not, they post less often. And every post they have says hashtag TBT or whatever, throwback, you know. It's like, right, right. You're not lean all the time. And a lot of people don't leave those breadcrumbs. They just make it look like they are when they aren't. So it appears like a lot of people, you know, a lot of bodybuilders, I would say most bodybuilders appear to be lean all the time. It's just not true. You know, they're, they're probably experiencing pretty wild fluctuations in their weight. They just try to hide during the off season. Eh, that's fair. You know, I don't care. I don't begrudge that. Again, we shouldn't be looking to other people for comparisons. So that is kind of irrelevant what other people do. Um, I don't, I don't like it. I think it's, you know, it's disingenuous, but whatever. Nobody asked me my opinion on that. Um, so the, the question really is what can you do while staying healthy? What's sustainable for you while healthy? And chances are somebody who's asking that question, it's probably not reasonable for you to stay lean again. We need to define that term a little bit better. Um, because if it were, you probably would, you probably would be staying lean. So there, there's the health aspect of it. There's also the, you know, how fucking hard do you want to work aspect of it? Do you want to be on your diet 365 days a year? Because most people who stay lean are to some extent, um, or they're, they're on it way more than they're off of it. You know, they might have their off season where they get a little bit more relaxed. So instead of walking around at 6% body fat, they're 9% body fat. You know, that's still pretty lean. It's not as lean as, as usual. And they'll say stupid, bullshitty things like, oh, my abs are, are starting to go away. Uh, I'm like, fuck you. God, shut the fuck up already. Take your bullshit and go home with it. Nobody cares. Wah, wah, poor you. Oh, you're not the leanest person in the world anymore. Go eat a bag of dicks. Oh, my God. That kind of crap just absolutely incenses me, if you couldn't tell. So... You got to you got to understand that lean isn't really a very useful descriptor. It's like, how lean do you want to be? You know, somebody who's walking around 25% body fat might get to 20% body fat and that's lean for them. Cool. Is that sustainable and healthy? Yeah, easily, easily, you know, without really having to kill yourself too hard. You can probably get a lot leaner than that still. Uh, if somebody gets down to 4% body fat for a show and they consider that lean and then they back up to eight or 9%, they might consider that fat, whereas it's leaner than most people will ever get. So it's all relative. So depends on how you want to define lean. But, you know, um, I would say if you have to do, um, cardio twice a day and maintain a deficit, um, and be miserable and sucked into your diet seven days a week, 365 years to stay lean. I'd say even if you're physically healthy, you're not going to stay mentally healthy for long doing that. You're going to get real sick of it. And it's only a matter of time before you go on a killing spree and you start shooting up a grocery store. So, I mean, at some point you've got to, you've got to figure out where your limit is, right? Where your mental limit is. Um, so there's mental limits and there's physical limits. Like you've, you've got to stay on plan. That's the thing. And for most people, the off season, it's a chance to not stay on plan all the damn time. Some people are wired for that. Are you? 
I think you probably know the answer to that right now. I would also say you can change your wiring. I didn't used to be wired for that. I kind of am right now. I'm pretty good with that. That being said, for me, being on plan means, you know, I'm just not being as wild and crazy with extra crap. My calories might be a little bit higher, but I'm still sticking to that plan at least. So, um, it's really like the ultimate, it depends question or answer. Um, just because it depends on how you define lean and also depends like, you know, how hard are you willing to work? If you're willing to do the work, um, and you're not like really, really pushing yourself, like where does your body want to be versus where would you like to be? If your body wants to be at 12% body fat, but you want to be at 8%, mm, you're going to have to push it to get there. And over time, that's probably going to cause a problem. You know, now if you can, if you can maintain that and not feel like you're overworking yourself, not feel like you need, you know, to take a week off every month because you're pushing too hard and not lose your damn mind following a a strict diet and being on point all the time. Cool. And you know what? Those are the people for whom the answer is an unqualified. Yeah, it's healthy. I mean, you know, because some people just don't care about food. Like, it's like, whatever I got to eat. So what do I need to eat that? Okay, fine. Cool. I'll do that. Oh, that's going to get me the physique that I want. That's going to help me hit my goals. Great. Awesome. I don't care. Whatever. And they'll just follow their plan and not even think twice about it. So for those people, yeah, it's probably fine. You know, those people who tend to be more in control of their food anyway, probably need to do a little bit less cardio. And at that point, yeah, there's nothing unhealthy about it. So, um, definitely a, a multi-pronged answer to that one. Um, Jen also asked training through injuries and limitations. This is, uh, interestingly timed for her as, uh, it is, it is Jen's check-in day today. Um, and we're getting ready to put together peak week and she, uh, has a somewhat debilitating back injury that we're hoping, um, she's able to work through in the next day or two. So get well soon. Um, currently, uh, she's unable to take picks even. So, uh, hopefully by the time you're all hearing this, that's a thing of the past. Um, so, uh, how to scale workouts and still get a benefit. Um, why it's important, uh, to not completely stop training when you're hurt. And to be clear, sometimes it is, sometimes it's, it it is important to stop completely. It depends on in what way you're hurt. If you have a hangnail versus if you have a broken bone, you know, there's a lot of different injuries and limitations. So it depends on the severity of it. Some things you can train through some things you really shouldn't. Uh, some things you can train through with some limitations, some things you can train through and just kind of grin and bear it and be okay. So, um, you know, there's, I would say if you've got a tear, a fracture, a break, um, that's going to require some rest like that has to get fixed and you're going to be out. You don't train through that. If you've got a strain, you probably don't train through that either because that's something that needs to recover. You know, it's not a bone that needs to be set, but it needs time to chill out, get less pissed, have some inflammation die down. And if you keep trying to train it and push through and be like, well, it hurts, but whatever, you're just going to delay the recovery process, if not make it worse. So, um, usually uh, my, my general approach on this, because I am not a doctor, I'm not a physical therapist. I'm not a kinesiologist. If somebody says, Oh, this hurts. I'm like, okay, well, let's find a a solution for that. And in the meantime, let's lay off anything that hurts it, you know? So, um, that is, I'd say for any trainer that has to worry about potential liability, that is the only correct answer. You advise your clients if they want to push through and do whatever beyond that, that's on them. But for me, I'm going to give the responsible advice every time, which is to say that hurts. Hey, let's stop. 
Let's chill out. Let's make sure that we get a proper diagnosis on it. If it's something that seems to warrant a diagnosis, if it's like, oh, I, I strained my shoulder or whatever. Okay, well, you probably did. All right. I don't think that necessarily requires a trip to the doctor in most cases, but let's chill out. Chill out. Let's give your shoulder um, a week or so, see how it feels and reassess from there. So um, generally, uh, if somebody's like, ah, I killed my shoulder. Okay, well, what, what, what hurts? What can you do without pain and what causes pain? And sometimes it's like, well, if I press, it hurts. I can do pretty much anything else. Okay, well, what direction of press? Seated upright press, incline press, flat bench press. It's your shoulder, but how does that impact your chest presses as well? Can you fly? Lateral raises, et cetera. Like, what can you do? And if the answer is, well, I can do this exercise, I'm like, okay, we're just going to skip that day then, probably. Now, when I had my shoulder impingements last year, um, the only shoulder exercise I could really do was lateral raises, and I had to be careful with that. So, um, but I was in prep for a show. I was like eight weeks out at the time. I'm like, well, we're just going to keep going here. And I got a diagnosis. I knew it was an impingement. I knew what I had to do. But in the meantime, I like, I can't really do anything without a lot of pain. And it's one of those things where if I just keep pushing through it, it's not going to make it better. So I've got to hold off on anything that causes discomfort. So lateral raises were good. So I would do six variations on a lateral raise. And that was my shoulder workout. It was not the greatest thing in the world, but it worked okay. You do what you can. You know, I'm doing machine lateral raises, single arm, bilateral, cable, incline bench, leaning, you know, whatever I can think to do. <laughs> it's like we're just going to we're going to do them all. We're going to do it on this cable system, we're going to do it on this cable system over here. We're going to do it on this machine over here. I mean, just whatever you can come up with, you know. That's a fairly limited vocabulary, but it's still it's like, okay, I got a little blood flow, did a little work. Eh, that's better than nothing. Could have been worse, right? So, um if it's like, man, my my shoulder, I can't do anything for shoulders. Then the question becomes, well, can we do chest? Is it just all pressing movements? If so, okay, cool. Let's skip both of those. And then maybe let's, you know, take if, if those are two days out of six that you're lifting, now we're left with a four day rotation. Is there anything else that it feels like we can hit a little bit harder? Can we maybe throw in a, an extra leg day for a couple of weeks or something like that? So, or do we just take the, the time to um, use a little bit of additional rest? It depends on where you are in your training. If you are in prep for a show, but something is injured, but not to the point where you need to call off the show, like, you know, if you tear a labrum in your hip or your shoulder, um, guess what? You're, you're picking a new show. We're, we're pulling out of that one. We're getting that fixed. And that's, that's the end of the discussion. Uh, if it's just like, man, it's pissed off and it needs a little time to recover. I strained it or something like that. Um, then, okay, cool. Then let's back off on that. But we are in prep for a show. Frequency matters. We still want to be you know, we still want to keep your TDEE relatively even. So it's not like working out is burning calories. Like, I mean, that's not what we're focused on when we're training, but we do want to burn those calories that we typically would. Um, and so at that point we would say, well, okay, you know, let, let's plug in an extra, you know, leg day or whatever, or man, my knees bothering me. Okay, cool. Well, let's modify leg workouts so that we can take the knee out of it a little bit. Let's throw in an extra upper body day. Maybe we'll, we'll drop from doing legs twice a week down to once, um, consolidate things so that we have one leg day where we're kind of hitting everything that we can squeeze in comfortably and then throw in an extra upper body day. Um, how would that impact cardio? Depends. That, that's where it gets really tricky um, because like knees in particular, hips to some extent as well, um, they're weird. Like you know, the, the way in which a joint, uh, especially in the lower body is injured, it can really, really vary. 
And it's not like, oh, my knee hurts. Okay, well, let's just stay off the treadmill. Let's do the bike instead. Sometimes the bike feels like the worst thing. And the treadmill actually feels fine. The elliptical is zero impact, but sometimes that causes more pain than anything else. It's just, it's impossible to know. So basically try everything and see if you can find some form of cardio where the pain and discomfort is minimal. I would say in most cases, if you're feeling like a two or a three out of 10, that's fair. Anything above that is probably not, uh, not productive to try and push through. But if it's minimal and you can kind of be, be okay with it, then, then we're fine. And again, if you get a proper diagnosis on it, whatever it is, and the doctor gives you specific instructions, you follow that and you don't question it. Um, unless you question it by getting a second opinion from somebody more qualified than a general practitioner, like a physical therapist or a kinesiologist. My general rule of thumb is never go to your doctor, your general practitioner for physical ailments, like you know me- mechanical things like joint and muscle issues, because they don't. It's not their thing. You know, it, nothing against doctors. It's just not their expertise. And you want somebody who has an expertise in, in orthopedic type things. So physical therapist, if you can self-refer, just start with a physical therapist or call up your doctor and see if you can just get a referral to a PT that will save you a lot of time, a lot of frustration. So how you, how you work through it depends. How do you scale it? I wouldn't necessarily to, to kind of go with, with Jen's phrasing on this question. I don't know that I would scale workouts necessarily. Like Um, I would modify it. Scaling to me sounds like we'll just do this a little bit lighter, um, or, um, or scale volume in some way. Typically, I don't think that either of those approaches is, is generally smarter. It could be like, man, this movement feels fine until I get past a certain weight. Okay, cool. Well, that weight, what is it? And can it feel like we're still, we're still doing something productive under that threshold? If not, it's like, well, if I did sets of 50 or 60, it'd probably feel pretty good burn. Like, well, that's one option or we can just find something else to do. So um, it depends the kind of where that cutoff is and, and where that threshold lies. So um, so that that's my general approach for how I deal with with injuries. And if they're if they're more like permanent limitations. At that point, you should have a good understanding on exactly what it is. Like there's been a proper diagnosis. There's been a treatment for it to the extent that it can be treated and you're left with some kind of a permanent limitation. So that should be a little bit more, you know, typically we know exactly what that is. And I've worked with a lot of clients like I can't do anything that requires knee knee flexion past 90 degrees. I can't do uh, any overhead pressing like those kind of things. Okay, good. Th- those are things that we can program around. That's, that's easy. That's, that's good because that's permanent. That's long-term. You don't have to worry about like, okay, well, what about in a couple of weeks when it heals or no, it's a, it's a settled issue and we just know it's not going to work. So, Whew. all right. So it took two days, but we got it. So this has been episode what? Two Oh six. Yeah. Two Oh six. So thank y'all for listening. I appreciate it. Um, I got nothing else to add. I think we'll do one of these next week and then I'm going to be off the following week for vacation. So if you have questions, things that you want to hear discussed, anything like that, shoot it over. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm kind of ready for, uh, for additional commentary from people. So, um, email me Darren at five star fitness.com. Um, hit me up on social media at Darren underscore star on Instagram is the way to go there. Or just go to five star physique.com. Click on the contact button, fill out the form and let me know what's on your mind.